my point, I guess. Um, I don't know if anybody in here familiar with Asbury University in Kentucky. Asbury University in Kentucky. Well, Wednesday night they did was doing their normal um, their normal Wednesday night thing that they do for their students there on campus, and something broke out on Wednesday night, and they've had a continuous revival even to this moment here. Like people just like I wish I could show you some of the videos. Like my friend Jason Kilby, who's came here and preached a couple of times, really tall the guy that head almost touches the ceiling when he's in here. Um, like he 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 shot me some videos last night, and it's just like, man, there is something happening. There's a shift happening, no pun intended, and um, it's just amazing that to see like if we open our eyes to see what God's not only doing here at Shift Church, but across. Um, our region and across the United States, like from here all the way to Snohomish, Washington. Um, like it's just crazy stuff happening all over the United States. I'm just like, man, I told y'all revival's coming and it's happening. And it's it's like, even I, I even mentioned this last week a little bit, but like even in, even in Mr. Fairbanks' math class, they ended up having spiritual conversations about heaven like two weeks ago. Like it's, it's ridiculous, okay? Um, the things that God's doing, and um, all it all started because somebody wore a sweater that said, "What? Let's flood heaven." And uh, I mean, and then that sparked a conversation, y'all. And it was just, and you just sit back and let it happen, you know. So might as well, right? <laughs> if I don't have a critique, <laughs> it's like here, dropped a question, walked off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but something's happening. But I'm so glad that y'all have come here this morning. Um, but I want to ask you um, this question. It's going to seem like a simple question, but it's kind of deep. Okay, who are you? Who are you? Okay, I'm gonna ask it again. Who are you? See, oftentimes I think that we lose track of our true identity. We lose track of our true identity and where we find our true and where we find our true identity because. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but people are finding their identity in a bunch of different things lately. Well, I identify as this, we, and we're identifying ourselves in things that were never meant to be part of our identity. You with me? You dragging with me? I'm, and I'm not afraid to step on some toes there this morning. Okay? So I'll just, even though this isn't part of the sermon, your identity is not in your kids. Your identity is not in your spouse. Your identity is not in what church you attend. Your identity is not in what sexual preference you claim to be or what you feel on the inside you are or are not. Your identity is rooted and founded in your creator. Anything that is opposed to that is wrong. So if you put your kids above your relationship with Jesus, and this is like, I mean, if you put your kid, your relationship with your kids above your relationship with Jesus, guess what? You are wrong. If you put your relationship with your wife in front of your, in, in front of your relationship with, with Christ, guess what? You're wrong. If you put your sexuality in front of your relationship with God, guess what? You're wrong. No matter, like, if anything that's above Jesus... Anything you put elevate above Jesus, anything you lift up higher than his name is wrong. You with me? Check with me? But here's the great news. Even, we, even though we all do that in some category of our lives, he still loves us and still made a way. You with me? But I think we lose track oftentimes on our, on our identity and where we find our identity. And, and here's the thing. When we, lose, when we, when we lose, with the, lose that, when we lose what our identity and where we find our identity, we end up concealing sin. We can end up concealing shame, and we end up concealing guilt inside of us. When we lose our identity, when we begin to conceal, we walk in weakness instead of power and the authority that we have in the Holy Spirit. 
See, Jesus, in Mark 3 that we're about to look at right now, finds himself, finds himself in a synagogue again. And you know how Jesus likes to stir up stuff, you know what I'm saying? But he found, he found himself on a synagogue on, on, on the Sabbath with eyes watching every move he made, right? Because they knew Jesus was, about, Jesus was about to break some laws, even though they were man-made laws. But he's about to break some laws, so they're watching him, trying to find a reason just to shut him down or to shut him up. But he loves to break some religious rules. And here's why, because he's not bound by your limitations He's not bound by your self-proclaimed dogma. He clearly stated last week, if you remember, I am the law. You with me? But I want you to watch what happens here at the beginning of Mark chapter 3. Okay. Verse number 1, Mark 3 says, Then Jesus left them and went again into the synagogue, where he encountered a man who had an atrophied, paralyzed hand, or some translations say, a man with a, with, with a withered hand, okay? Everyone was watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath, giving them a reason to accuse him of breaking Sabbath rules. And Jesus said to the man with the paralyzed hand, stand here in the middle of the room. So the question becomes, why was this man at the synagogue that day? Why was the man at the synagogue that day? Did he hear that Jesus was going to be there? Maybe. Maybe he thought, if I could just get in the same room of Jesus, maybe like just like the woman who touched the hem of his garment, if I could just touch the garment, maybe if it's like, like Jairus, if I, can just get, if I can just get Jesus in the room with my daughter, something's going to happen when Jesus enters the room. If I'm in the same room of Jesus, I'm on, I'm, I can't leave unchanged. We talked about that last week, right? Maybe that's his story, right? I mean, if I could just get in the same room of Jesus, something, like, something happens when we let Jesus in the room. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was just a normal attend, attendee and he had been coming every week, week in, week out, looking for healing, but nobody had the authority to heal him. You with me? Like nobody walked, no religious leader at the time. I don't know why this man happened to be there today, but that day he encountered Jesus. You with me? And I want you to notice what Jesus does first. You know what Jesus does first? He, he calls this man to stand in the middle of the room. He was in obscurity, and now Christ has called him front and center. With Jesus knowing that all eyes are on him. You with me? He's in obscurity, and now Christ has called him front and center. Many of us have concealed shame, hidden guilt, and we have sin and addictions we want to be set free of, but we haven't let, let them see the light of day because we don't want anyone to know our... our we ourselves oftentimes find ourselves in obscurity on the sidelines praying that God heal, heal us while we're keeping what, he, what we want healed, concealed. But here's some truth right off the bat. Christ can't heal what you keep concealed. You with me? That's why confession and repentance is a big deal. Because Christ can't heal what you keep concealed. You don't have in your own strength to fight the darkness that is consuming you. You don't have the power to do that. You must open it up. Let the light of Christ shine in. You have to lay it out before him. Because where there is light, darkness must flee. Where there is light, darkness must flee. You got darkness in your life, guess what? Let Jesus in. 
is where light is, darkness escapes. That's why John 1.5 says, and this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom, the light that darkness cannot diminish. That darkness cannot diminish. You have to put it in the light. You have to place that darkness in the light. We can't conceal it anymore. You want God to move in a certain area? Lay it out there. Because as you'll find out here in a second, he knows anyway. But listen to this, verse 4, Mark 3. Then he turned to all those gathered there and said, which is it? Knowing that all these eyes are on him, so they're already paying attention. So he's just calling them out. He turned to them, those gathered there, and said, which is it? Is it against the law to do evil on the Sabbath or, or to do good, to destroy life or to save one? But no one answered him a word. No one answered him. It's funny and it's true that when confronted with truth that opposes your mindset and views, that when truth is turned against us like it was turned against them, we hold our peace not wanting to admit our wrong ways. Our wrong ways of thinking. Like here's Jesus pointing out their wrong mindset and they're just like, no. I mean, we do that too. Like, don't judge them because we do that too. Like when he confronts us about some truth and we're like, well, that's just not my way. That's not how I was raised. That's not what I was taught growing up. We'll get to that in a second. But it's hard to admit that we're wrong sometimes, isn't it? Like one of the most freeing things that you can do for yourself and for your own life is to say, you know what? I was wrong. Like some of us men need to look at our wives and say, we're wrong. <laughs> we were wrong. We were way wrong. One of, the, one of my favorite things to say to Brittany when she says that I'm wrong, I always say, how's that taste coming out? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then I sleep on the couch for a week. <laughs> don't, do, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, Joe. <laughs> but it's so freeing. And I'm sorry that it smells like a skunk in here. I just got a big whiff of it. Okay? I'm going to do, I'm gonna have to shoot that skunk because it's around here somewhere. Yeah, we're going to find him. I'm tired of it smelling like weed up in here. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's all good. I mean, if somebody's up in here token, I'm sorry, but the air kicked on and a big whiff came up. I was just like, good Lord. But what if what what would happen if what would happen to our influence in the world if we went, you know what, we were wrong? Yeah. You with me? But it goes on. Verse 5 says this. This is Jesus. <laughs> then looking around at everyone, because everybody's eyes are already on him, so he's like, I might as well stare back. Uh, looking around at everyone, Jesus was moved with indignation and grieved by the hardness of their hearts and said to the man, now stretch out your hand. And as he stretched out his hand, it was instantly healed. It was instantly healed. Notice what, what Jesus was mad about, first of all. What was he mad about? The hardness of their heart. He was mad at the hardness of their heart. They were opposed to Jesus so much, and they were opposed to the truth so much that they weren't for this man's healing. And I wonder sometimes if the hardness of our heart is what keeps people from coming and knowing the truth of Jesus. You with me? Like, they're too far gone. We just don't, you know, we do it often in our prayer requests. Well, you've got to pray for Betty. I told her not to go to that man's house. 
and we gossip about it. We harden our hearts thinking nobody will let, that person will never change. Well, maybe the reason they won't ever change is because you don't give them a chance to change. I try to have that conversation with teachers sometimes at school. Like, give them a chance. Yeah, they're going to screw up. <laughs> they're probably going to do something else that makes you mad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Give them a chance. Maybe the hardness of our heart is keeping people away from the truth that is the light of Jesus and the gospel. They, weren't, they were so opposed to Jesus that the truth, they weren't, that they weren't for this man's healing. Like, are you so opposed to truth that when confronted with it, you're silent and you don't change? Like, are you? Like, really? Well, Derek, I'm just stuck in my ways. I've been this way for 45 years. Well, I'd love me to tell you to get unstuck. Because here's the thing. I love you enough to tell you, it's not about your ways. It's all about his. Not your ways. His. That's why Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, his way is better. You with me? Like, you can have the greatest idea on the planet earth, and if Jesus rolls in, whatever he says is better. Psalms 18.30 says, "So So what a God you are. Your path for me has been perfect. All your promises have proven true. What a secure shelter for all those who turn and hide themselves in you. You are the wraparound God giving grace to me. Like his ways are perfect for us. His path is perfect for you. So get unstuck from your ways. Because you might just be wrong. But secondly, it says that Christ told him to stretch out what he needed healed. Stretch out what is needed healed. Like we must stretch out before Christ the very thing we want him to heal. We must lay it bare before him. And to be honest, he already knows what you want him to fix. Like he knows. He's just waiting on you to say something about it. Lay it out there. That's why Hebrews 4.13 says there is no... There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God, for nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is, con- is concealed. But everything is exposed and defenseless. Some translations say laid naked before his eyes, to whom we must render account. Many of us are walking around as if we are do- what we are doing is hidden from God. We're living a life that we're like, God God can't see me do this, we're good. I'm like, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to do this and- do this in the darkness of my life, and God's, I mean, God still have favor on me. It's all good, good. And he, he, he'll show you some favor as a believer. But listen, he knows, and one day you're going to have to render account in front of him. Like he knows nothing is hidden from him. So with a crippled right hand, this man, with a crippled right hand stretched out, like you have to understand, this man had lost power, pleasure, approval, and had no righteousness by community standards. But here's the good news this morning. With as crippled as we are in sin, Jesus heals our limitations and our brokenness. Not only did he restore this man's hand, but he restored this man's place in his community. Restored power, restored pleasure, restored righteousness in this man. 
Jesus heals our limitations and our brokenness. Well, God, I don't know if I can do that. I'm limited in my, in my capabilities of this. And God's like, no, 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 no. If I've called you to it, I'll get you through it, and I'll give you what you need to do it every time. Mark 3, 6 goes on to say this. After this happened, the Pharisees, because they're not fair, you see, left abruptly and began to plot together with the friends and supporters of Herod Antipas and how, on how they would kill Jesus. The very reason Jesus came was to be killed. Isn't it funny that even people who don't believe in, in Christ play a role in glorifying Christ? You with me? Like you may not be a believer and your friends may not believe in it and they may be like, I don't believe all that stuff. Well, even in their unbelief, they're still glorifying God. You with me? That's like we, we, when, ask me about it when we do the next question series. It's, it's deep. You with me? After this happened, the Pharisees left and abruptly began to plot together with their friends and the supporters of Herod Antipas on how they would kill Jesus. Isn't this more true today than ever? Any truth that goes against culture, they try to kill and they try to shut up. You with me? Like, even their whole thing, all truth is truth. Like, your truth is your truth. Like, is not, like, that's the opposite of really the definition of truth. That's falseness, false knowledge. Like, if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, then what, like, what is true? You know what I'm saying? Truth has to be grounded in something that's fixed. It do, truth doesn't change over time. You with me? Truth is truth. So if it's true yesterday, it has to be true today and tomorrow. So if your truth is constantly shifting, you with me? If your truth is constantly shifting, then can you really say that it's true? And that's why they want to. That's why they want to kill off. That's why culture wants to kill off any message that says that they're wrong. They're wrong. Like they can't even really define what truth is based on their truth. You with me? It goes on to say this in Mark three seven. It says, "Once again, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lakeside, but a massive crowd of people followed him because people wanted to be with Jesus." Okay. Once again, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lakeside, withdrew there. He was trying to get some alone time with his disciples, but people just kept crowding around him. You know what I'm saying? But a massive crowd of people followed him from all around the provinces of Galilee and southern Israel. Vast crowds came from Jerusalem, Edomay, about beyond the Jordan, and from Lebanon. Large numbers of people swarmed in from everywhere when they heard of him and his wonderful works. The crowd pressed so closely to Jesus that he instructed his disciples to bring him a small boat to get into, the, to get into and keep from being crushed by the crowd. For he had healed so many that the, that the sick kept pushing forward. And like, I so wish, like, I so wish that the sick would just barge in these doors for healing. You with me? The sick kept pushing forwards just so they could touch Jesus. Like, I wish the presence, like, I want this house to be a house of encounter, a house of, of presence to the point to where people just walk in these doors and receive their healing. And whenever a demon saw him, it would throw the person, person down at Jesus' feet, screaming out, you are the son of God. But Jesus would silence the demons and sternly order them not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to himself, uh, called, called to himself the men he, he wanted to be his close companions. 
So they went up to the mountainside to join him. He appointed the 12 whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends and so that he could, he could send them out to preach and to have authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. The great news for you this morning is that this same authority handed to the 12 apostles and, the power, and, and that same power reaches down to us today. It stretches out to us today. See, 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 3 through 4 says, For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons using, using a manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with the divine power or the Holy Spirit to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that, and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to dismantle darkness. And we have the authority to do so through the Holy Spirit. And each of us have been given a gift to help in that. Well, Derek, I don't know if I believe all that. Well, that's fine. But First Corinthians says in one six, I used to think all that stuff was over with. But it says, for the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. So now you aren't lacking any spiritual gift. You are not lacking any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the unveiling of the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And what that means is, and now you aren't lacking any spiritual gift or the power of the Holy Spirit as you eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. You with me? So the power and the gifts and the authority that he gives you is until he returns. We have the same power and authority as the apostles did. Like right now, the power and authority of the Holy Spirit is available to us. Right now, the power and authority of the Holy Spirit is available to us. But it goes on to say this in Mark 3.16. He says, He appointed his twelve and gave Simon the nickname, uh, the nickname Peter the Rock. And he gave the brothers J Jacob and John, the son of Zebedee, the nickname Be B'nai Regal, which means passionate sons or sons of thunder, okay? Then Jesus, Jesus, uh, then, I go back, go back to 30, let me read that. Uh, man, that, that skipped a whole lot, didn't it? Hey, pull up um, from 17 on. Afterward, Jesus went up and on the mountainside, he called to himself, oh, those blah, blah, I'm going to let them fix that for a minute. There should be 17 through. Yeah, you're good. Technology sucks sometimes. Okay. Right, which means passionate ones. The, other, the others were Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, Jacob, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the nationalist, uh, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I noticed like, he hadn't betrayed yet, but they always pointed out this is the one that betrayed him. It's like always like he'll never live that down. Um, but Jesus went home, but once again, a large crowd gathered around him. A large crowd gathered around him. So, uh, yeah, 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 this is good, this is good. 
Then uh, maybe not, but it's okay. I don't. It's fine. Um, then Jesus went home, but once again a large crowd gathered around him, which prevented him from even eating a meal. When his own family heard that he was there, we're still missing some verses, but it's okay. We're, uh, yeah, we did miss a lot of verses. Anyways, there's um, you go back home. I, will, I didn't have the notes in here. Anywhere from hey, can you just go start from 18 and go all the way through? Um, it's all right. We'll just, it's fine. When he was, uh, the other were Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, Jacob, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Nationalist, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Go on to verse 20. It's fine. Then Jesus went home, uh, but once again a large crowd gathered around him, which prevented him from even eating a meal. When his own family heard that, that he, wa- he was there, they went out to seize him, for they said, he's insane. All right? The religious scholars who arrived from Jerusalem were saying, Satan has possessed him. Here, here we go, we're good. He cast out demons by authority of, of the prince of demons. Jesus called, to, called, him, them, called them in to himself and spoke to them using parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? No kingdom can endure, it if, endure if it's divided against itself. And, and a, splint, a splintered household will not be able to stand, for it is, for it is divided. And if Satan fights against himself, he will not endure, and he and uh, endure, and his end has come. And Jesus said, "Listen, no one is able to break into a mighty man's house and steal his property unless he first overpowers the mighty man and ties him up. Then his entire house can be plundered and his possessions taken. I tell you this timeless truth: all sin will be forgiven, even all the blasphemies that that they they speak." But there can never be forgiveness for the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, for he is guilty of an eternal sin. This is because they said he was empowered by by demon spirit. So I'm going to pause right here just for a second. And you can go on back to the regular screen from here. The next thing will be on Mark 31. This mighty man is Satan, but the stronger man is Jesus. Jesus is, te- is telling these people, like, I'm breaking into the devil's house and I'm ripping the darkness out of him, out of, out of your life. This is, this is Jesus telling us that he has entered into the darkness to overpower Satan's hold on our lives. And, how, and, and now you are set free, free, from, free to do what? Free to live your life as, it, as it, the way God had planned it from the beginning in total peace and, and, recon- and reconciliation in him. But here's the thing, it doesn't end there. It's now our job. It's our job to charge hell with a water pistol, to point others to the light. You see, I want to set up within a yard of hell. I want to feel the heat of hell as I point people in the opposite direction. Turn and repent. Turn and face Jesus. Walk in the direction. Walk in his direction. Walk in his direction. Mark 3, 31 says this. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came and stood outside and sent a message to him, asking that he come out and speak with him. When the crowd sitting around Jesus heard this, they spoke up and said to him, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he answered them saying, Who is my true mother and my true brothers? Then looking in the eyes of those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are, here are my true family members. For whom, 
For, for whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Like this almost seems heartless, doesn't it? Lord Jesus, I say, I, they're not, that's not my mother and brothers. These people are. They're the ones, if you do my will, if you're, if you, if you're sitting around me, you are my brothers and sisters. But this isn't harmful or hurtful at all towards Jesus' family. In fact, he was making this statement to tell us two things. Number one, your love for Christ should be above everything else, including your closest relationships. Including your closest relationships. Number two is Jesus is saying, as followers, we are co-heirs with him. Uh, Romans 8, 17 says, and since we are hit... Since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he, all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his suffering as our own. We are children of God himself. We are children of God. God himself with all the rights and authority that it brings but part of but part of being having that power having that authority is we have to be willing to unconceal to let out to stretch out our whatever we need healed in front of him because the more that we keep concealed the more that we lack and lack the power and authority because we were saying, like, I can take care of this myself instead of taking it to our daddy. You with me? We have to lay it out before him. You are the children of God. Go to your daddy. I remember one of the one of the conversations I remember the most about growing up was my mom and dad saying, I, "You can come talk to me about anything." Because they will never stop loving me. And I did a lot of screwed up stuff, y'all. Ask them. Don't ask them because they'll tell you the truth. You me? I did a lot of screwed up things. And they still called me their son. Like you may have screwed up. You're trying to hold it in. Hey, this is God saying to stretch it out. I want you to walk in authority over sin. I want you to walk in authority over shame. I want you to walk in authority over guilt. I want you to walk in authority over sickness. But stop concealing it. Stop hiding it. Will you pray with me? And God, we thank you so much for being a father who loves us even when we screw up. God, I pray for whatever sin is concealed here, whatever shame is concealed, whatever, whatever we have concealed that you want to set us free from. My prayer is that we lay that down today. <laughs>